Welcome to the Way of the Emotional Warrior podcast. Where we investigate how to master and harness the energy of our emotions to regain our power, vitality, confidence, and quality of life. There are tons of websites, books, videos, and courses that speak about changing your thoughts and mindset. You know, three steps to this, nine tips for that. Old school personal development told us that all of our blocks come from the brain and our thinking process. However, new research proves that our thinking and decision making actually comes from our emotions. After all, emotions are energy in motion. Emotions drive our money decisions, life choices, relationships, and even our health and fitness. Having the life of freedom and joy that we all crave requires that we first master our emotional center. Welcome to The Way of the Emotional Warrior. All right, welcome to another exciting episode of The Way of the Emotional Warrior podcast. My name is Kai Ennis, and today we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Geraldine John Drew, and she is going to give us all sorts of insights, a very, very Renaissance woman-oriented person. So uh, real quick, she is a martial artist. She is in the publishing and writing world. She is an author of a great new release that is called Jungle Gene, the biography of the explorer who transformed modern parenting with the continuum concept. Did I do that right? You did it great. Yeah. There we go. All right. All right. So without further ado, I will pass the microphone to you. We're going to have a nice, wonderful discussion here. So welcome to our show, Geraldine. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm particularly attracted to this idea of the emotional warrior. And, you know, the martial arts background, the martial arts implications, all of that is very, very close to my heart. I was in my 20s when I, um, I was actually bartending on, in Fisherman's Wharf, San Francisco. And, you know, I'd be walking out of the restaurant late at night with 150 bucks in my pocket. And I was like, well, this is kind of weird. And a friend of mine said, come to me with Taekwondo. And I was like, all over it. I went every day for three years, every I bartended at night so I could train with the black belts in the morning. And it was, it was a very important developmental period in my life to learn discipline, learn how to meditate at that young age. Um, I really feel like it gave me a foundation like nothing else. Yeah. I, I got into the martial arts through actually my oldest son. He, uh, we sent him off to do it and I thought it was pretty cool. So, and his black belt had the same first name as mine. I said, this is great. So I mean, <laughs> so we went in and yeah, like you said, you know, the black belts train some, somewhere around lunchtime, I guess, 1130, 12 is when they all showed up to I guess maybe a lunch workout. And, um, I remember the first time I sparred, it was really quite interesting. And then the first time I really had to fight a woman, that was very, very challenging for me. Oh, I, interesting. Yeah. I mean, she obviously could, you know, knock me about, but that was not the point. I just had a really difficult time because my programming is completely the opposite self-programmed because, you know, we, we all have our stories. You know, about. I had past, an experience, so. I had an experience like that. The first time my instructor, who I had quite the crush on, he was like, punch me. He wanted me to punch him hard in the stomach. And I couldn't. I was like, you know, I, I, I practiced. I don't think I started crying, but it was like, I just couldn't do it. And he oh. kept pushing me and pushing me until I did. But it was, you know, kind of a not full power. But similarly, we get conditioned that way. 
Yeah. It was, uh, and she said, hit me. And, you know, so then, and I, I couldn't, I, so then she put on this body armor type okay. of, you know, like a, like an umpire set up and, I still felt really bad. First time I did it, I said, that's, that's enough. We're good. <laughs> yeah, just... There's that model muggers program where the guys get all dressed up and it's, you know, several days of training where you really mm. learn to defend yourself. So yeah. it's, it's a different world. All right. Let's talk about some emotional mastery. What mm. is it that you have to share with us about this whole thing about feelings, emotions, and syndromes you spoke of earlier? Let's, let's yeah. get into that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think people make a big mistake when they, they fear emotions, they fear their feelings in many ways, conditioned not to feel, to shut down. The thing that it took me a while to understand, because I used to be very emotionally intense and less and less, you know, um, um, well, I'll just say mature, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've been around a while yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those dark alleys. You don't want to go down losing control emotionally, but it's a process. So for me, it was really important to identify the difference between feelings and emotions because feelings are like weather patterns. They come and go. They rarely last more than, you know, 20 minutes and they move through. Sometimes it's just a matter of two minutes when you allow it, you allow yourself to feel it fully and it comes and it goes, and then you can gain some perspective. When you become identified with a feeling, like you think it's you, instead of you realize it's something that happened to you, then they become more solid. And if you don't have a way to work through it and continue to identify it, you can develop a syndrome, which can actually have a diagnosis. Like if you become really identified with your sadness, don't know to ride it, and allow it to pass for something else to emerge and you become identified with it. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons for depression. I don't mean to minimize it. I have been through my own bout with clinical depression, but um, so that's really the distinction I make. I say, marry your feelings and divorce your moods. Oh, it's actually the third thing is moods. So it goes from feelings to emotions to moods. And Ooh, moods yeah. can linger for days. Yeah, You know, you can have a blue afternoon or you can have a dark month, you know, mm-hmm. which isn't to minimize, again, true depression or even the midlife crisis, which can bring a person to their knees emotionally. And often that is a, a transformation in itself that brings some very deep learning. What do you think is a, a way to monitor yourself so that you can sort of, I I call it emotional inoculation. And what I I mean by, (laughs) what I mean by that is how do you go about training yourself since we're, you know, martial arts training, right? How do you train yourself in order to sort of see it coming? So you don't have to go down the slide all the way. Cause I mean, the true masters, you know, that they capture this very early. How do you, do you have any input on that? Yeah, I do. And I, I, I really think so much of it is about gaining awareness. There's one of my favorite expressions is self, self. Oh God, now I've lost it. Self-reflect and self-correct. Mm-hmm. So if you do lose it, it's like really important to sit 
to consider it, to look at what happened, to be able to like notice each moment, each beat and what decisions you made. And the other big thing that I think really fast forwards someone's ability to master or manage, I mean, it's kind of manage at first and then it's master, is to actually observe the consequences of your behavior. Mm. So I used to have, I would lose my temper freely. Right. And in one particular <laughs> relation, I was always a hothead, you know, like, <laughs> like people were like, oh, I don't know about her. She's a bit of a loose cannon. <laughs> and then I would see the impact of that on other people. It took, it took a while for me to really be willing to look and not blame others and actually take responsibility for my anger. But the biggest lesson I ever had, I was involved in a relationship for quite a while. And, you know, I'm a hot blooded flash in the pan kind of person. I get, I, I, I release the emotion and I'm over it. Well, this man, it wasn't so for him. He was somebody who didn't really express his emotions that much and would get very impacted by other people's emotions. Mm. So I would, I would watch this. I would observe, reflect on the pattern. And as I became more and more aware of my impact on him and how much I love him and didn't want to hurt him, there was actually, I actually began to come to that choice point and it's a little selfish, but I could ask myself, do I want to actually leave, remove myself to the situation or do I want to blast him and lose my man for three days? Mm. So there, there is that. And so, and it really, so it's a lot about paying attention to your impact. There was another incident with him that just came to mind. Um, it was another time when I like walked out, stormed out the door, slammed the door, I'm done with you or whatever. And I, ha I went back because I'd forgotten my keys or my wallet or something. I went back in the house and I, this is a man I didn't see, didn't show his emotions much. And I, he was in the bedroom crying, like <laughs> really crying and speaking what he doesn't speak in front of me. And it brought me to my knees. I literally fell to my knees and like begged forgiveness. So there, there is something about, I always think that, you know, there's, it's one thing to apologize and say, you know, I'm sorry, you know, mom used to say, Johnny, go apologize to Timmy. You hit him on the head with the truck. You know, there's mm -hmm. something about apology, genuine apology. I made a genuine apology that day, like I've never felt before. And what makes it genuine is the remorse. Like when yep. you feel genuine remorse, that is like the digestive enzyme that allows the person to feel the apology deeply. And then the forgiveness comes and it's natural. It's not forced. So unfortunately, a lot of us have been conditioned to feel certain ways that we, we like, it's like, oh, I'm obliged to feel this way. I'm obliged to say that. And other people know when it's genuine or not. We just know we can tell by facial expressions. You can't fake the micro movements of all the muscles in your face. Mm -hmm. And even though people may not be able to recognize it specifically subliminally we always register what other people are feeling i think what's really interesting you know as we're talking here the the general movement that i've noticed with guests and in my own you know episodes at times is to work on yourself right you you have mm -hmm. to do the work but i think you've really brought out and I'd like to, you know, dig into this a little further. You've brought out the idea that we live in an ecosystem with other people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. An emotional ecosystem. And very well this, said. 
this ability to read someone else's emotional uptake from your emotional toxicity and your emotional spewing, there's, I, I personally am, and, and I wonder about this because, you know, my wife and I, we talk about this. We both grew up with at least one toxic parent. And when that happens, you learn to read people really quickly and because you just Mm -hmm. don't want to receive their wrath. Right. So we're both hyper aware of someone else's state. And like you said, all those, those muscles, I mean, you can just see it when someone drops a shoulder of, wow, you know, what's going on. And um, we also have horses and with our horses, Uh you, you you can't fake it. You know, there's no faking it. If it's a, it's a rough day, they're like, see you. So but this this notion of living in that space between, you know, so that you have a responsibility, not for someone else's emotional health, but controlling your spewing of your own, right? So I'll I'll pass that back to you. But that's I wanted to commend you on on being able to see that and bringing that to our show. So that's pretty cool. Well, you know, so it's so interesting because it wasn't it wasn't even twenty years ago that Daniel Goldman wrote Emotional Intelligence that book. Mm-hmm which yep. really broke this wide open. And now uh, the work of Dr. Dan Siegel, I've studied with him, interpersonal neurobiology. Mm. Like we actually impact each other's nervous systems. It's almost like a tuning fork. Like wow. if I strike a chord, it's going to reverberate in that person's neuro, literally in their neurobiology. So it's, it's difficult to remove ourselves, even though we don't necessarily think about it. It's like, well, that's your feelings. And there's this whole thing about, and one of the agreements is don't take it personally. Well, how can you not take it personally if it's actually impacting your physiology? Yeah. Yeah. It it comes around to that whole, the the Tao, you know, we all are interconnected like it or not. Mm -hmm. And I think there is something very profound about developing that perspective and taking other people into account. And the thing about that, they say, um, I mean, it's true that, uh, what is it? Philanthropists, what is it? The, um, you know, the highest form of kindness is when you, the word's not coming to me, but, um, it's actually rather selfish because you're impacting the other person, but that's also impacting you. Mm -hmm. So that's the, there's no, nobody's really truly separate. So do you want to go through the evening being self-righteous and because somebody did something or do you want to communicate that in such a way, you know, of course, there's always I statements, which are very important without blame, but taking responsibility like, wow, I'm really angry. That triggered something in me. That's some, that's very, very different than saying you did this to me, you know, very, very different. But the generation of my mother, just the other day, she said something like, well, now you've ruined my day. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Like I'm not taking that on, but I I wouldn't even say anything to her. I'm like, I know mom, I'm sorry. So so I end up counseling her. There you go. (laughs) All right. You know, she's also caught me doing that many times. I spent a lot of time with her during COVID. She's 90, very, Mm. very spry for 90 years old. But uh, she she pretty much told me, she goes, I don't want any input from you. Like, I don't need your advice. I didn't ask for it. I don't need it. You know, so like back off. All right. Um, I'm not your therapist. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you can't coach into no invitation. Let's face it. You know, if somebody hasn't asked for coaching, then, you yep. know, zip it, keep it That's, to yourself. Wait yeah, and it's, it, it's hard. I mean, we all think we're right and we all want to tell others how to be like us. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, true. it's, you know, again, time kind of, you know, the, the same way you described it as, as I move forward in time, I, I see what I used to really get all upset about and take so yeah. seriously. And I now kind of saying pass. I mean, that's, that's my personal word. I just say pass. I give it a pass. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it floats by instead of coming in and resting, just pass. Not all of it, but uh, certainly a lot more than used to matter. So, Yeah, I've learned that too. It's like things that used to get me really upset. I might be really upset in the moment, but uh, I can, I have the perspective like, oh, I'll forget about this in a week. Mm-hmm. This is not actually something that's going to linger. My nervous system will be restored to balance. I, I have ways of regulating my nervous system. I go for a walk, Geraldine, go for a, get on your bike, blow off the energy, don't hang on to it. And it really, you know, with practice, it becomes so clear that that's true, that it's like unnecessary suffering. You just don't need to suffer it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's the holding on and seeing things through a certain lens that creates so much of our suffering. Yep. That, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your book. Tell us about that. Oh, What's, well, you know, I was just thinking on that note about how we look at things. One of my favorite, um, I'd love to read one of my favorite excerpts from the book. Uh, let me just find it. Um, Tuscan. Okay, so this is a story that, you know, I share this, there's, there's story after story in this book. Jungle Jean is, uh, just for those of your audience who don't know, Jean Liedloff went to the Venezuelan rainforest in the 1950s and 60s and lived with indigenous tribes there. She was a New York socialite and she, she went on a diamond hunting expedition. She wasn't an anthropologist. She wasn't, you know, a sociologist. She wasn't studying them. She lived among them and became very good friends with them. And she went twice with the Italians and then she led three expeditions herself. And then she was back in New York and got a contract to write a book. She went a fifth time to check some of her observations and her theories and eventually published the continuum concept in 1975, which became a child rearing classic. She never intended to be a baby care expert, Mm. but that's what (laughs) happened. So she started the baby wearing trend, you know, putting the baby in the sling and then eventually the backpack, the baby backpack. And um, so, and then it inspired the attachment parenting movement, which people tend to know that sooner. So, but these were people who did not, they, they did not have moods. They had (laughs) feelings. They probably didn't have emotions. They may not even had, have had names for their feelings. Mm. Um, But this is a story that illustrates it very clearly. And what I like about stories, we know that stories are our greatest teachers. Sure. Because a story like this makes such an impression that it allows people to Oh, when they see themselves caught in our civilized trap, they can kind of remember one of the big takeaways from Jean's story is that joy is our natural state. Mm. Like, consider that possibility. Yep, right. So I'll just read this. Um, This was on her first trip, and she was with the Italians and their, their, um, their guides who were uh, terrapin 
uh, uh, tribesmen. So let's see, uh, where does it start? One day, without warning, the river halved in volume. They were surrounded by a dense growth of asparagus, ficus, and philodendron. Enrico recognized this passage. He had traversed it before, and he began to describe the challenge that lay ahead in detail. We'll have to climb over steep granite wall next to the Arpucci Falls, he said. How steep? Jean asked. Quite, Enrico replied, avoiding her eyes. This is the passage you told me about, Beppe frowned nervously. Yes, Enrico replied. Then, with a single slow nod of his head, this is the one. Still avoiding Jean's gaze, he went on. They place logs across the path of the canoe and haul it inch by inch. The sun is merciless. You could easily get heat stroke. He described the pain he'd experienced time and again when the canoe would slip into a crevice between boulders and pivot out of control, scraping his shins and ankles against the granite. Jean's face remained stoic. Beppe looked horrified. Fearing what lay ahead, the three of them spent several days bracing themselves for the hard work and pain that was sure to follow. They arrived at the waterfall full of dread and primed to suffer, already hating every moment of the portage. They started off grim-faced, dragging the canoe up the rocky slope. When the canoe swung sideways, the sheer weight of it would pin a member of the work party to a burning rock while the others scrambled to move it off. A quarter of the way up, all ankles were bleeding. By way of begging off for a bit, Jean jumped ahead to photograph the scene. She climbed up 10 yards and perched high on a rock. From that vantage point, at a distance from the action, she noticed a curious fact. There before her was a group of men engaged in a single shared task. Two of them were tense, frowning, losing their tempers at everything and everyone, cursing in the distinctive way of Tuscan men. The tarp and guides, on the other hand, were having a fine time of it. They were laughing at the unwieldy canoe and making a game of the battle with gravity and rock. Between pushes, they showed off their scrapes and bruises. When once again, the canoe would wobble forward, pin one, then another of them underneath it, they responded with amusement rather than upset. The fellow was, who was held bareback, barebacked against the scorching granite invariably laughed the loudest once he could breathe again. All the men were doing the same work. All were experiencing strain and pain. All were sweating in the blazing hot sun. There was no difference in their situations except one. Jean and the Italians had been conditioned by their culture to believe that such a combination of circumstances was at the very bottom of the scale of well-being. What's more, they were quite unaware they had a choice, any other option as to how they could experience that situation. The guides were equally unaware of their choice. These supposedly primitive people had also been conditioned to deal with their circumstances in a particular way. They knew what lay ahead, but hadn't spent the days before the trek wallowing in dread, quite the contrary. They approached the portage, they approached the portage in a perfectly merry mood. They seemed to revel in the camaraderie. Each forward move of the canoe was viewed as a victory, a cause for celebration. Jean finished photographing the scene and rejoined the team, opting out of the civilized choice and enjoying quite genuinely the rest of the uphill climb. Yeah, very nice. 
Yeah, it's so fascinating to see what we're actually trained to believe is horrible, awful, you know. I love mm. that. I love the, you know, at the very bottom of well-being. Yes, but right. That's all interpretation. There's nothing in the action. I had this experience recently. So I've been doing a lot of social media. Mm-hmm kicking and screaming the whole way and particularly unpleasant. What is with my phone? Uh, Excuse me. I can't, I have to turn this baby off. Um, So I was playing in Canva and getting very, very frustrated. I mean, I'm I'm not a digital native. I am a digital immigrant and I'm here on a temporary, you know, I'm here, but I wasn't born here. So I could make it really difficult. I could be screaming at the damn thing. Like, why? This should be easier. Who designed this program? How can anybody figure this out? And then one day I was like, Geraldine, what? Like, this is all in your head. And uh, I turned it into, I decided uh, I was getting into this notion that play is a really important part of life. So all of a sudden I flipped it and I was like, I just have to treat this like, like I'm in my playroom. These are my crayons and my paints and my finger paints and my clay. And, and it completely changed it. Now I haven't become a master of Canva yet, but I don't suffer it. You know, I can go in there, I can ask somebody to show me how to do it. And then it, it's not the suffering. So I think that there is a way we can really approach so many parts of our lives with, with an open heart and mind, instead of, you know, pre-programming really like we pre-program ourselves to suffer. Why are you doing that? Right. But until we recognize that we actually have a choice and make that choice a couple of times and go, Oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. That's where the awareness grows. And that, that little, that little moment in time when you actually have a choice to not go down the painful road, but take the other route and Mm -hmm. remain in your center and in your heart and in your joy I mean, that's, um, that's my, that's my biggest challenge and biggest, yeah. you know, exhilarating win on a day-to-day basis when I make those choices. So. Very good. Uh, would you like to share how people can get a hold of uh, you, yes. your book? The most probably direct route to me and easiest to remember because my la- my name is difficult to spell, um, is through the jungle gene website. Um, you, people can go there and actually get, I read chapter one, the first, her first trip into the jungle. Um, and they would get with the, give me your email address and I will send you that chapter audio chapter, me reading it. And, um, you can go to geraldinejandro.com. I'm also a psychotherapist and I do some work that's based on Jean's work and the blind spot that almost everybody I've ever met has a blind spot. And everybody can see it, but you, it's some way that we tend to shoot ourselves in the foot. So I work with people in that context. And I'm also a writing coach. I have a um, six month mastermind for people who are really, really serious about getting their book done in six months to a year. And so that's a group coaching program. So um, GeraldineJandro.com. Not easy to spell, but (laughs) you can search me and I'll show up. And then also junglegene.com. Okay. Well, I'll put both of those links in the show notes for everybody Wonderful. to get a hold of you. Wonderful. Really this a pleasure. Is, yeah, really likewise. Pleasure. This is great. You know, that's a great energy. So I, I love it. It's a lot of fun. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you again for joining us on this episode. And I hope people really get something from this and your wonderful reading of that 
story. That was really great. So thank you. And uh, I wish you the thank best. You. Thank you. Really a pleasure. All right. You take care. Hey, thank you for sharing your time with us today. We would like to know what your thoughts are on today's topic. Please join the conversation on www.kyennis.com and at Instagram at Way of the Emotional Warrior. So have a great day and be well.